0: Ten months down, two more to go. Today's first day of the month is the 305th of 2022, and there are only 60 24-hour periods left. Give or take whatever unit of time is offset between my production and your consumption of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that mentions these things simply to get you ready for the facts and figures that usually permeate each installment. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I try to keep count. On today's program, a North Carolina man has been arrested in conjunction with a recent shooting death on the downtown mall. Charlottesville staff have provided critical comments for an initial site plan for a 245-unit apartment complex slated for the Rivanna River floodplain. A community resource hotline still offers help to those having trouble paying bills because of COVID. Governor Glenn Youngkin announces $60 million in housing opportunity tax credits And the Albemarle Planning Commission tells the developers of a planned apartment building on US-29 that they could build more on the site. In this first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Their mobile bike repair clinics continue November 3rd from 3.30 p.m. to 5.00 p.m. with a stop at Riverside Drive. Want to learn more or support their work? Charlottesville Community Bikes currently is seeking matching funds for a grant from the OutRide Fund. Visit CharlottesvilleCommunityBikes.org to learn more. A North Carolina man was arrested in Tennessee Friday night and charged with a second-degree murder after an early morning fight on October 23rd. The Commonwealth's attorney of Charlottesville and Charlottesville police yesterday announced the arrest of Marcel Durrell Washington of Charlotte in conjunction with the murder of Devon J. Wilson. A section from the press release states that the felony warrants were obtained on Tuesday, and since then, detectives with the Charlottesville Police Department worked closely with the Commonwealth's Attorney Office and the U.S. Marshals Service to locate and arrest Mr. Washington. Washington is also charged with using a firearm during the commission of a felony. As of yesterday, he did not have an appearance in general district court scheduled. The Charlottesville office that approves land use decisions within city limits has denied an initial site plan to build 245 apartment units on about seven acres of land along the Rivanna River. Here is a section from an October 26th letter to SHIMP Engineering. City staff have made a good-faith effort to identify all deficiencies within this submission. SHIMP Engineering has until January 24th to submit a revised plan that corrects technical issues with the plan. The staff letter wants them to know that some of the corrections may still not be enough to gain city approval. In the event that there remains any other deficiency, which, if left uncorrected, would violate local, federal, or state law, regulations, or mandatory engineering and safety requirements, such other deficiency shall not be considered treated or deemed as having been approved. The 18 page letter is a long list of items, and reading the full letter is encouraged for the details. Not all of the comments are deficiencies, such as a recommendation to implement the Urban Rivana Corridor Plan adopted earlier this year. Some of the comments impose new requirements before a final site plan would be approved, such as providing bonds for any public improvements, such as the stormwater management facilities, and requiring a floodplain permit from the city as required by city code. Other requirements are necessary to clear preliminary site plan approval. These include providing a phasing plan for construction, indicating areas of the property where the Rivanna River Company operates, and information on outdoor lighting. The applicant must also indicate how many bedrooms would be in the units and must update incorrect references to building heights listed in the preliminary site plan. The letter also states that vehicular access would not be allowed to the apartment complex through a property on Caroline Avenue that is zoned for single-family residential. Building official Chuck Miller noted that the buildings are shown as within the setbacks of utility lines and that building requirements for floodplain construction had not been met. Floodplain manager Tony Edwards listed about a dozen comments, including the potential for flooding within one of the structures. Here's a section from his section of the site plan comment letter. On the south end of the site, the proposed retaining wall top is at elevation 330 feet and below, along with significant areas of the parking lot and entrances being below the BFE elevation. This may allow floodwaters against or into Building A. Edwards also wants signage to indicate flooding is likely along access points to the site. City traffic engineer Brennan Duncan also weighed in. The current site plan's access points are inadequate for the size and nature of the development. The connection as shown to East High Street cannot meet design criteria, as the minimum width of the entrance needed is wider than that property at that point. Other comments are not noted as being necessary for approval of the site plan. These include a public trail easement and connections to the Rivanna Trail. Planner Chris Jenzik with the Parks and Recreation Department said that the city would like to acquire portions of the open space along the Rivanna River and Mead Creek as permanent parklands. The Office of Community Solutions stated that they would like to see 10% of the units designated as affordable for households under 60% of the area median income for a period of 99 years. Nothing in city code compels that to happen. Civil engineer Justin Schimp said he expected this sort of a letter, and there's a quote in the newsletter if you'd like to read that. As one holiday fades into memories and others loom on the horizon, local officials want people in need and those who know them to be aware of one potential source for aid for those still struggling due to COVID-19. Here's a section from a press release from the city of Charlottesville that went out this morning. The community resource hotline is the central point for residents to call to be screened for eligibility for financial relief for rent, mortgage, or utility bills. The effort is also funded by Albemarle County and administered by the United Way of Greater Charlottesville. Eligibility for the program changed today to allow eligible residents to receive up to $1,000 a month for up to $3,000 a year. The funding comes from either the Federal Cares Act of 2020 or the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. The purpose of this change is to align the city and county limits so that residents understand the availability of funds, regardless of what locality they reside. More than $1.5 was used from this fund in fiscal year 2022, and nearly a million has been used so far since July 1st. Those participating must provide documentation of eligibility, such as pay stubs, bank statements, utility bills, and landlord ledgers. The community resource hotline number is 833-524-2904 and is available 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Spanish language line number is 434-373-0930. In a community where it is a priority to provide places to live for those with low incomes, helping provide more public awareness of financing opportunities is a focus of Charlottesville community engagement. Last week, Governor Glenn Youngkin announced $60 million in housing opportunity tax credits to five projects across the Commonwealth. These credits were authorized by the General Assembly in 2021 and revised in this year's special session. The credits are authorized by Virginia Housing, which used to be called the Virginia Housing Development Authority. Secretary of Commerce and Trade Karen Merrick said in a release that these funds allocated to state tax credits are for rental housing are key in revitalizing neighborhoods and providing more affordable housing options for the workforce. None of these five projects are in this area, but as financing for projects is often competitive across the Commonwealth, it's instructive to list $9 million for The Rendezvous in Hopewell City, $16.5 million in Norfolk for Block 17. Norfolk also got $16.5 for Block 9A1. Smith Ridge Commons in Roanoke County got $15 million, and Mecklenburg Manor in Mecklenburg County got $3 million. All told, the press release states that 572 new affordable units will be created and 47 will be preserved. For details on housing opportunity tax credits, take a look at the Virginia Code section. There's a link in the newsletter. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second shout out the organizers of an upcoming holiday drive want you to know about an upcoming kickoff event happening today to support the Blue Ridge Food Bank Beck Cohen is part of the Home Services for the Holidays Food Drive which launches today at Three Notch Brewery participating companies will collect non-perishable food items on their service calls and these include Albemarle Heating and Air Jones Heating and Air monticello air restoration one and we brown if you get this in time there is a pickoff today you can attend that at three notch brewery and if you'd like your business to participate as well you can pick up a registration card you can learn more on the home services for the holidays food drive page on facebook One last story today, and it's from something that happened last week. A Chicago-based developer appeared before the Albemarle Planning Commission last week and heard something not often said within the county. Here's Luis Carrizana, the at-large member of the Planning Commission. Make this the model project so that others can see that we can have high density in areas that we need it, which will help us with other areas that we want to preserve. Thesis Living has not yet submitted a rezoning for a three and a quarter acre property on the east side of U.S. 29, just north of the city's border with Charlottesville. The property is zoned commercial and within the Places 29 master planning area. Cameron Langeel is a county planner. There's a wide range of uses that surround this parcel. Most of them are non-residential. There are some retirement and assisted living facility homes to the northeast. Langeal stated that this was the former site of Seville Oriental, but that business is still in operation, as is an automotive repair facility on the site. One of the questions for the commission related to whether the proposed use was consistent with the Places 29 designation of NS, for Neighborhood Service Center which is the smallest of the centers in that document. The master plan recommends a maximum building height of three stories for any structures that are in a neighborhood service center. This application is for a five-story building, and the request would be to rezone the property to neighborhood model district. The actual form of this development would be a single structure that would be primarily multifamily residential dwellings. It's 275 units is what this developer is looking to do. Langeal said that would come up to 85 dwelling units per acre, which is much higher than the highest possible figure in the county's master plan, as well as the 20 units per acre depicted for neighborhood service centers. He wanted to know what commissioners thought of the height and the additional density. Attorney Valerie Long with Williams-Mullen represented Thesis Living, and she said... They're very interested in, um, in investing in the county. Um, and helping to address the shortage of housing, multi-family housing in particular. From an urban planning perspective, we think it makes so much sense. They think it makes sense from a market perspective. There would also be about 7,400 square feet of commercial space. Long said Thesis Living wanted to have a sense of the commission's temperature before filing the official rezoning. Long also noted that the parcel immediately to the south is within the city of Charlottesville, and is designated as Urban Mixed-Use Node in the 2021 Comprehensive Plan. That could allow up to 10 stories. They haven't gotten into density levels in their comprehensive plan, but there's speculation, at least signals from their drafts that it'll probably be higher density on their side as well, maybe no limits on density. Major redevelopment in the city area would mean the relocation of the U.S. Postal Service facilities two parcels to the south, as well as the redevelopment of the Hibachi Grill and Buffet. A Wawa gas station and convenience store is under review for the parcel to the north. One planning commissioner asked if the retail indicated in the pre-application was necessary. Here's Fred Missel of the Scottsville District. We've probably all seen retail backfire, where you have this desire to bring life to the street, and in fact you can't find anybody to fill the retail, so you just have a dead space at the front of your building. Examples include several empty storefronts on student housing buildings built on West Main Street in Charlottesville that are required by the zoning to have commercial uses on the ground floor. The flats at West Village opened in August 2014 with three retail sites, one of which has never opened, and another containing a restaurant that folded sometime in 2019 with no activity since. In this case, the representative from Thesis Living said the proposed retail could always be converted to residential if the commercial viability was not there. Negotiations would have to be worked out to allow for access to Hillsdale Drive over land owned by the Virginia Institute of Autism. Long said this would not be intended to be the main entrance because VIA hopes to use their space as overflow parking. The units themselves would be a mix of one and two bedroom units with some studios. Another comment from the commission was to consider installing a green roof on the top of the parking garage. Commission Chair Karen Firehawk noted that this application comes at a time when Albemarle is perhaps a quarter of the way through the comprehensive plan review. She noted that may one day provide incentives that would allow for greater density. But we're not there yet, so we don't have these things to present to you as here are the ways that you could get additional density bonuses or do those kind of things. In general, though, commissioners were in favor of the density at this location. Here's Lonnie Murray of the Whitehall District. I think it meets our goals for the conference plan. Murray also said he liked the idea of an internal parking garage. Commissioner Julian Bivens of the Jack Jewett District said he supported the building height and suggested the location might be okay for more building space. I actually would try to go taller because there's nothing there. Bivens said he suspected the United States post office property will eventually be sold because the real estate is too valuable. He also noted that portions of the Seminole Square shopping center will soon be redeveloped as multi-story, multi-family. What I think we're doing with this project is helping to sort of establish what the parameters for this part of 29 might be and we do it on our turn fire hawk was also supportive of a larger building but she also suggested the developer should make use of the roof we don't want to just say yay yay more density and that's it we really want you to do something innovative here just interesting. that's but that's you know less polluting provides more opportunities for a unique outdoor experience. More on this development and a lot more things in Albemarle County as they develop. That's what Charlottesville Community Engagement is here for. But you are at the end of this installment, number 452, the first day of another month with 60 days left until the beginning of a new year. How many more installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement will there be between now and then? That data point is far from being known, but the calculus of my labor shall be factored to create as many as possible. Stay tuned to see what happens. A thank you today to Fiori Floral Studio and Jen Finazzo for providing me a couple of sound bites in the podcast. If you would like to be a voice in the show, let me know. And thank you to the nearly two dozen new subscribers who signed up for a paid subscription in October to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And thank you to Ting for matching all of their initial payments. It takes a lot of time and effort to write about growth and development, and I'm grateful for all of those who are supporting me. In honor of All Hallows Day, I shall refrain from the usual boilerplate. Do you have any questions or comments about anything you read or you've heard? Drop me a line and I will try to assist. With the exception of the occasional voiceover artist, I am the sole person producing this work, but I do need feedback to know if I'm hitting the right marks. Music in the podcast comes from Veraki, whose sonic stylings provide just the right background, or The Fundamental Grang, a mysterious entity that no one needs to know too much more about. Wracky, however, is on Bandcamp. This Friday is Bandcamp Friday, where artists receive all of the proceeds from the sale of their work. Next time, there will be one. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening, and goodbye!